0: On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey. And I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So um, thank you all so much for the people that reached out after last week's episode, just to say, you know, that they were sorry that my PAL expansion hadn't been successful and, and everything. It really meant, meant a lot to me that you guys were just really kind about it. Yeah. So I was glad that I went ahead and shared what my experience had been because I think it can help some other people. Um, so last Sunday I had a fun time. I was over on the Project Sleep Facebook page doing a Facebook Live. So this was really fun because it was Kristen Cassio who I've interviewed on the podcast. And she was telling her story, having completed the Rising Voices speaker training program. So if you don't know what that is, or you're just kind of curious, you can go follow the link in um, the show notes for this episode, and you can see what that's about. But basically, it's a program that runs during the summer um, over about six weeks, and you learn to really hone your story to be able to and become more active as a, a patient advocate and telling your story and um, to different audiences. So um, Kristen had completed that. So this was her giving her um, presentation, which was really great. And then I did a little Q&A with her afterwards. So again, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And actually, I'll probably put a link to the Rising Voices program generally, because they're recruiting for that, like they'll start again in the summer. So if you're interested in using your voice and using your story of living with a sleep disorder to raise awareness and, and make life better for other people with sleep disorders, um, you can definitely I highly recommend that program. And we need all the people we can possibly get to raise awareness about sleep disorders and reduce the amount of time it takes people to get a diagnosis. So today I'm joined by Drew Copeland. Drew is a national speaker and published researcher with 17 years of experience in clinical sleep medicine. He specializes in sleep apnea testing and treatment at Sleep Better NYC. He is the director of operations and IT and also provides sleep coaching to clients. With his background and experience, Drew has served as a subject matter expert for the BRPT and the AASM. Drew is the executive director for ProSleep, a sleep testing solutions company. I love talking to Drew. I think this is a great conversation. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Drew Copeland. So, Drew, welcome.
1: Hey, Emma. Hey, so we
0: should probably say that like, we're already friends, in case people think I'm being over-familiar. Do you want to just start off for people that don't know you and tell them where you are in the country, a little bit about your background and how you know so much about this stuff, and a bit about what you're doing now?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, So I'm Drew Copeland. I'm I'm in uh, New York. Uh, Actually, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, I have been a sleep technologist for 20 years just about 20 years now um and so that means that i've spent a lot of time uh watching people sleep i've spent i for the first kind of decade of my life i was working in the sleep labs putting wires on people watching them overnight um I watched uh, adults, children, um, I spent a good amount of time uh, running a, a sleep program for a, a major health system, so all that sort of testing, and now I, uh, I work uh, with home sleep testing um, primarily. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about what that is, um, but yeah, that's that's my background. I, I have uh, two clinical credentials. I'm an RPSGT, so I'm a registered polysomnographic technologist. And I am a CCSH, which means I have my certification in clinical sleep health.
0: Okay, awesome. So that's really good. And then do you want to explain a little bit about your work with Teresa and Sleep Better NYC? Just so people know what that is. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So the other hat that I wear is I am a sleep coach. Um, And I love being a sleep coach. So uh, as sleep coaches, we like to describe ourselves as like personal trainers for sleep. And with a lot of the there's so many like uh parallels there. So we want to um sit with someone, we want to understand their particular lifestyle, their goals, their roadblocks, and then kind of meet them where they are and and find like easy wins and, and, and small changes that they can make and and you know, lot of lots of uh lots of interaction, lots of, you know, are you able to change this? Okay, so we're not gonna change it right now. Maybe we'll try this smaller step first and just work with them until until you know. Compounding these good habits and replacing the bad habits. So, so we do a lot of sleep coaching. We do some work with like employee wellness and and helping people out with that. And and now we are starting to uh, really dive into monitoring patients who are on therapy and and helping them. You know, find not just the logistical issues of, of of the mask or or that, but also helping them find their motivation for it. You know, there are a lot of people who say, you know, I want to get more sleep. Period. And that's fine. But why, what is your reason for getting more? Is it, do you want your mood to improve? You know, do you want your energy level to improve? Um, So that's, that's, that's what I do.
0: A couple of the other episodes that are going to run in this season of my podcast will point to this really well, but Mm -hmm. can you maybe talk about, so I think one of the things that you and Teresa do is help people through the the testing process like if if they have some symptoms of sleep apnea and i guess a lot of people out there would think why would i need a coach for that don't i just go to my doctor and it's really straightforward what what we're learning from a lot of the people that i've been interviewing is that does work really well for some people but there's a lot of people that that traditional system of going to your doctor pushing to get a sleep study going to the the sleep tech, having your, what do you call that? Do you call it in lab or? Yeah, I call it in lab. So the, the
1: technical term is polysomnography.
0: Okay. Yeah. Having the polysomnography experience and just how that actually isn't as straightforward to navigate as a lot of people would think. So can you talk about why people might need the help of a sleep coach to go through that process?
1: Happy to. Yeah. So let's start with, um, so at the worst case scenario, this is what can happen to someone. They go to their, their PCP. Um, sometimes their PCP or sometimes maybe even like their, their psychiatrist, or psychologist, and say, I'm having sleep issues. And they're like, cool, let me write your prescription. Boom. And that's it. That's where their sleep journey ends, which is. Uh, so
0: as in they're getting medications to help them sleep.
1: Put on Ambien or, you know, something like that. And, and that's some people, Ambien is a good short term. I don't, I, I'm not a physician. I'm not going to give medical advice. All right. right. And so if, if, if your physician has prescribed you Ambien, you should do and that. And
0: don't stop taking anything your doctor not has prescribed
1: taking, you. Don't do anything that your doctor hasn't told you to do. Okay. Right. Very, very, you should also know that your health is your responsibility and, it, and you can ask your doctor the right questions. All right. Okay. And it's important for you to be informed. Ambien, the sleep you get on Ambien is not sleep. It's like getting hit in the head with a baseball bat, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. you're going to get knocked out, but that's not sleep. It doesn't give you the, the restoration. It doesn't, you're not getting into the right sleep stages. Your your body isn't re- repairing itself. Your your memory is, we want to talk about the things people do on Ambien. So all that to say, if you have any of the signs and symptoms of obstructive sleep apnea, and someone is handing you a pill, you probably want to seek a second medical opinion. Mm-hmm. That's what we'll see. Okay. But let's say you are you go to your PCP and, and they do say, oh, I think you might have sleep apnea. Unfortunately, a really typical patient journey there is they go to their PCP. They say, hey, I'm tired. I'm snoring. Okay. I'm going to send you to a sleep specialist. In many cases that you now wait up to several months to see that sleep specialist who then looks at you. Because says,
0: there aren't enough sleep specialists. In the country, a- right? To go around is basically. Right.
1: Close friends who are who are sleep physicians, they're already overworked. There's no yeah. way that they
0: They're working all the hours, but there's just not enough. Yeah, there's just not enough.
1: So, so you wait, you see your physician who says, hey, I think you might have sleep apnea. I'm going to send you to a, a, a sleep physician. Sleep physician says, I also think you have sleep apnea. Let me write you an order for a sleep study. Now that can go one of two directions. It can go to the in-lab polysomnography and it mm-hmm. can go to sleep testing. All right. Okay. And the way that that's determined, there's a number of different um, ways that that might be determined. Um, one, unfortunately, is insurance.
0: Insurance. Yeah. So that happened to me this, the the last time I had to do a sleep study when I got a new machine. Yeah. Um, originally, my I kind of talked to my doctor and I said, well, you and I have talked at length about that I never had a titrating study. So we weren't quite sure that my pressure was where it needed to be. So my sure. doctor was like, yeah, great. Let's you know go ahead and get you a full polysomnography test in the lab and we'll do a titrating uh, part yeah. while we're doing it and so my insurance company basically said no to that and they said you can have a home a pretty basic home test just to show you have sleep apnea so that you can get the new machine but they didn't agree that I could do the other thing so insurance is definitely a big part of
1: it it's a big part of it and okay I don't want to Completely demonize the insurance companies. Uh, What what I will say is some of the some of the insurance uh, stipulations are are valid and and um, there have been times. I mean, way in the past decades in the past, where patients who probably didn't need that full in lab polysomnography, many of them were sent there. You know, there were physicians who were owning and running sleep labs, and so they turned into a money thing, and that's. Uh, unfortunately, and they're getting
0: up. to bill for all of these tests. Right. Plus, anyway, there's the, also the other side of it where a lot of patients, I mean, I had particular reasons that I thought an in-lab study would be helpful, but a lot of patients I talked to would much rather do a home study. So it's on, it's kind on. of a balance between all the different... Of course, you know, of course,
1: but, you know, I guess the where it's a bit frustrating right now is, especially if you're going to see a board-certified sleep physician, they know what the appropriate test is and the insurance company should trust their clinical judgment. Right. That's, that's where I That's have...
0: all I'm saying. Like, yes. I just hear a lot of things where I'm like, why wouldn't you just trust what the doctor says? Right.
1: And, and unfortunately some of the denials we've heard, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, we have, there's a specific type of study where you stay all night at the sleep lab. And then the following day you stay for something called an MSLT. So multiple naps yeah. Day. So especially
0: and, if they're trying to rule like narcolepsy or idiopathic hypersomnia, exactly. yeah. yeah.
1: And we had an insurance. We had insurance companies deny that and say, "Do a home study instead." And you know, then a board certified sleep physician had to get on the phone with like someone at the insurance company and be like, "You actually have no idea what you are talking about clinically. Right. It's impossible to do this." Right. At- home sleep testing is 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 perfectly valid for 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 many many patients it's not like the drop-off is is massive you know right Um, they're not saying you know instead of getting this medication you know you can mix like like hogs or and and you know (laughs)
0: This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone and coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Emma. That's BetterHelp.com slash Emma.
1: keep going on the patient journey. So yeah. you've now waited a few months. You got to see your doctor, your doctor uh, gets the sleep study order. So if it's a home sleep study, you know, maybe you might have to wait a little bit for your insurance to, you know, to get authorized the study, but you're going to have that home sleep study. If you're going to go the in-lab route um, again, in most cases it's going to have to be authorized. And in some cases you do have to wait until there's an available slot. And that can, in some cases, even be months. Yeah. So you've now gone just, pause for a second you walked into your pcp i'm very very tired like i'm falling asleep at the wheel yes you know, I don't have time to to be with my family and my kids uh i'm you know not productive at work and you're now 6 months later in some cases and nothing's been done yet so now you're able to 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 get and have your sleep study mm-hmm. it then depending on the type it has to be analyzed usually by someone that's one of the jobs i did you go through and look at six to eight hours of squiggly lines going across the screen. I have to know what that is. Then a physician has to come in and interpret all of that. All right. Then finally you have a diagnosis of sleep apnea. Okay. So that's, that's, that's when you can finally get put on therapy. Once you get that diagnosis, how do you get the information from your doctor? You know, in some cases you then have to wait a while to get into a doctor's appointment to see them, for them to tell you have sleep apnea. Unfortunately, in many cases, you know, it's a very, very short uh, visit with your doctor who says, you know, here's the, the the treatment you're going to get. Use it. It'll be you'll be fine. And then they send it to a DME company, which for those who don't use CPAP, probably don't even know what that is. But there's a third party now.
0: Durable medical equipment company. Durable
1: medical equipment. There's a third party now that, ha- that has to take that order from the physician. They have to authorize with the insurance company. They have to get you the machine. Yes all about to say yeah it the the patient journey is convoluted it's fragmented you're getting passed from one to another you know from your pcp to your sleep physician to the sleep lab back, yeah. to, the sleep, back to the dme back to the sleep physician and so one of the things that we want to do is is help guide that you know yeah. we can't change the american healthcare system you know we we'd love to but in the meantime we can help someone navigate it
0: yeah and just kind of explain what all those different parts are and so talk to me about home sleep tests so so here's one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't really understand but I know that you know all about this so you're the perfect person to explain it can you describe like the different levels of testing and what they can and can't show because I've heard a number of people talking about well I had a home sleep tests and it was they said it was negative for sleep apnea. So that's that. But can right. you talk about this like ruling in and ruling out and sure. yeah. and that people, you know, just because they test negative, what does that mean? Like yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. So let's talk so about I'm this. Saying. First of all, let's talk about what how we measure sleep apnea. All right. So we use uh something called the apnea hypopnea index. And what that means is we are looking to see how many times throughout the night, while you're sleeping, you have some sort of respiratory event, all right? So it means your breathing is going to be off for 10 seconds. And as a result of your breathing, either your throat completely closing or or narrowing, you're going to either wake up out of sleep or your oxygen is going to drop, all right? So one of those two things happen. So that's when I I would analyze these. And when some of them are auto-analyzed now, that's what we're looking for, respiratory event, and then some sort of thing that affects your body,
0: and, and one, then for for a diagnosis of sleep apnea, you're looking at the number of those events per hour right. being above five and then...
1: Yeah, so uh, more than five, between five and 15 uh, typically will give you a diagnosis of mild sleep apnea. Yep. Between 15 and 30, moderate sleep apnea and above 30 is severe. There We have been calling into question recently how important, like the, the number of times you have one, how well does that correlate to anything? I have how well a lot it...
0: of opinions about that, Drew. Um, and having talked to this many people for more than two years, like the number of people I've talked to who, you know, didn't get a diagnosis of sleep apnea because maybe their events were eight seconds long, but right. they're waking up all the right. time and they're they're not sleeping well but their doctor said you don't meet the criteria for sleep apnea and you can't have any treatment for it like that yeah, happens a lot like in
1: some cases their doctor said that but their doctor is parroting the insurance companies who they know that they cannot say that that patient has sleep apnea because the insurance right. companies say no they don't uh, it hasn't been well correlated with future outcomes. severity
0: of symptoms and how much impact and that's having symptoms. on somebody. Yeah.
1: And honestly, mo- almost most importantly, what type of treatment you should get, you know, it, so it's all that to say, that's how we diagnose you right now. We look right. at how many times per hour. All right. So yeah, I'm thinking about like, you know, it's, it's just like miles per hour. It's, it's, it's events per hour, right? Right. And the way that we, we, we do that, the way that we measure this, um, i'm going to use the word surrogate right now and so uh and we use that all the time so you thanksgiving's coming up i, I don't know if i can say like a, a time sensitive thing but so when you walk this into, is going to be
0: in january and people are going to be like
1: okay all right. <laughs> that's fine. Back, back in thanksgiving uh, <laughs> yeah. you walked into you, if you are visiting relatives and you walk into the house you can smell turkey all right now you don't know you haven't tasted that turkey you haven't touch that turkey. You haven't seen that turkey, but you're using your, your sense. Of, so it's a surrogate. All right. So, you know, something is happening based on something else. All right. Um, that's how we measure checking the actual blood without know, doing an A-line and seeing how much oxygen is in your blood. We don't have a camera down your mouth to see like your, if your throat, right. you know, we don't have subdermal electrodes looking to see if you wake up. So all we're trying to do is we're trying to find other things that will help us know that those those physiological phenomena are happening. Yes. We do that using sleep testing. Now, we'll start at the very top. We'll start at polysonography, all right? Mm-hmm. I love polysonography. I really do. Uh, I mean, there's so much.
0: The most amount of data.
1: So much data. So much amazing data. Um, unfortunately, over the last few decades, we've taken all that beautiful data and just crunched down to just that AHI, which yes. is probably why we're in this, but so much great data. You can really know and trust that the patient is awake or asleep. You can really trust what the sleep staging is very subtle seeing if, if it's, you know, there are patients who just a little bit of like a, like that's all it takes to wake them up. Yeah. And, and that's, if you're doing that right. And if you're doing that all night long, it's
0: exhausting.
1: (laughs) Of course it's exhausting. Yeah. That's what you can get from from PSG from polysonography. Very, very accurate. But as I said, it's burdensome. It's yes. expensive for the the um insurance companies. You you have to go in overnight. Someone yeah. like me has to put all these wires on you. It's are not in your home. So And a
0: lot of people I talk to, you know, that have you know, I speak to people all the time who are caring for disabled relatives or children, or they they work like a shift job and they can't just take the night off you know so i think sometimes it doesn't work with people's lives to actually go as well
1: of course i mean we used to run sleep studies on on children and so like their parents would have to like come home and say you yeah. have, have like shit like swapping out halfway through the night so it it's it's a lot of time and energy and effort but i will i've just got to wait make sure i say it to me it's where i love polysomnography. i think it's yeah you're it's, gonna it,
0: really find out what's going on
1: Right. And one of the things you referenced before, we'll say, you will know if you don't have it, if you don't have sleep apnea, if you go in and have uh, a a decent polytography, you will know that without a doubt, you are not having any service sleep apnea. Okay. So that's, 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 what's wonderful. So
0: that, do we call that level one?
1: Yes. (laughs) That's what you call level one. All right. Um, Then? So then you have level two. All right. Level two, I'll just say is not used as much in the US. All right. It's, it's, it's used a lot in uh, in Australia, in Asia. Um, and what level two is, is many of the same sensors that you have in that polysonography, but done at home. So okay. the way that they do it is they will put all the electrodes on the head, they'll put the ones on the chest, they'll put all these on, they'll actually bring you into the lab, hook you up for it, and then send and then you home. And send you home. Yeah, Okay. which uh, before in my path, before I was a sleep tech, I was an EEG tech. And we do, we do that a lot in EEG, where you put all the sensors on someone and they just carry or anyone. And who... so
0: it's kind of like, so that's level two. So it's kind of like level one, except it's not observed by
1: right. a member exactly. of
0: staff watching you sleeping. Right,
1: And there's a couple other additional um uh, measurement tools you have in the sleep lab that you don't have in there. I mean, you can measure someone's uh, CO2 levels like through their nose or, or sometimes through their skin tone. You can't do that at home. Um, you know, what you mentioned, if you go into the sleep lab. So when someone says having like an in-lab uh, sleep study, that could be a diagnostic one, but in many cases it's, it's a CPAP titration. And so, that's where again someone like me is like re- finely tuning all of the settings and all the pressures to really make sure you have the right pressure settings. Um, again, can't really do that at home. Though there are there, there are people working on that, remotely like uh, changing the pressures while monitoring uh yeah. lives at night. Sort of so that would that's be really most- helpful
0: if people could do that remotely. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and so that has a lot of a lot of clinical value. It really does. But you know, recurring theme here. um not reimbursed any better than like the level three and the level four so why why would why would people do it you know
0: okay so what's level
1: three okay so level three um you need to have two main uh sensors here you need to have an airflow sensor and you need to have an oxygen sensor all right you can also have uh, so it's an
0: airflow sensor like a cannula up your nose
1: so in some cases it's a cannula up your nose. Um, so actually the um, uh, one of the physicians and uh, researchers I've worked with, uh, David Rappaport, uh he, he it's because of him that we use that nasal cannula. Before then we used to use something called a thermistor or thermocouple, and that measured difference in in um, temperature. So when you okay. breathe in and out that you're blowing Changes across the temperature, but the the nasal pressure, the nasal transducer there, the the cannula they put in measures very very subtle changes in pressure and that just gives you a much more accurate again all we're talking about is that if you have severe sleep apnea you almost don't need a study like you know I I, I can the the problem is making sure that the people who have the very mild sleep apnea the people who have that little, and that wakes them up being able to detect it and so yeah. that's where you want specific sensors. So um that's, you need to have the, the, the nasal pressure part
0: of it for it to be a number three
1: or to be number three okay. and, and SPO2 signal. All right. And usually there's a couple other ones. Yeah. depending. And on
0: so the. for a level three test, mm-hmm. can you explain about like ruling in and ruling out? Like, can you use that to yeah. rule yeah. out? Sleep the out level in? you
1: go down in this, the, the less you're able to rule out. And in fact, this is a very common phrase that they use in clinical sleep medicine. You know, if you well, so let's say your physician says, I want you to have an in-lab polysomnography, and insurance says, nope, they have to have a home sleep study. But that patient has symptoms of sleep. All apnea. the
0: symptoms, yeah.
1: Right. If they go, they have a home sleep test and it comes back negative, that doesn't mean they don't have sleep apnea. And in many cases, that's then used as justification to say, you know, the patient. Are presenting clinically like they have sleep apnea the home sleep test was uh was negative so we're going to escalate to polysomnography
0: because they still have all of the symptoms yeah that's one thing that i think I've, I've heard a number of people where they're like well i had a home test and it was negative and they have all the symptoms right. and i'm like go back and have them pushed to do another right. lab test. Right.
1: Well, and go back to my, my, that's my, my Turkey metaphor here. Like, so if you walk into a, a house and you smell Turkey, like you can assume that there might be Turkey, but you, you haven't seen it. You haven't tasted it. So maybe right. someone has like a spray or maybe they made Turkey the day before, or maybe it's right. coming from an house. That's what these home sleep tests do is you, they give you a, a hint. And in many cases it, it's strong, but like you don't know until you've seen it, you've tasted and touched it. That's, that's why. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then we got down to three, and then do you want to talk about? So then there's one level there's one, down from that called four.
1: Level four is is the final one. All right. And so that really the big difference between level three the level four is it doesn't require the nasal. uh yes. so you have to have SpO2 and another sensor or another signal. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay. So that so. would be like a watch pad device yeah. where it's got the thing on your wrist your finger and and a little thing on your chest yeah. or like i you, think the, the, the wesper thing with the if it has the pulse ox on it
1: wesper has the pulse ox there's there's a few different kinds so let's yeah let's talk a little bit about them so i'll uh, talk about the technology behind it because that's what's really fascinating to me yeah. so when you really get down there because you're relying on so few signals you have to really have good technology to for it to be accurate all right yep so yeah, WatchPat is uh, it uses peripheral arterial tone um, to, or peripheral tomography is actually the the term for it. And really, what they're looking for is that it, it's got a little sensor that that looks at your arteries and looks at like the the volume of of blood flow in there. Okay, I won't get too technical into it, but they can you know basically from that they're smelling the turkey when they see that and so they know that there is turkey all right i'm gonna keep going back to this metaphor all right but that's but it's but they've got a really good nose all right yeah that, that's they got a really so that's one I, i've
0: done that test and i yeah. thought it was kind of incredible like that they can tell all that from those small sensors of course yeah. so they've
1: got, they've got that technology um there's another group uh, the sleep image folks they use yeah the just- ring uh, like, a, like a pulse ox, the same sort of uh, sensor that you would wear. Like if you're in the hospital, something, like a pulse ox. And then they do this advanced signal processing, cardiopulmonary coupling, where they're looking at like in the ECG wave, you know, the little thing, like your heart, they're looking at how tall each one is. And if, if the, the height goes down, how close they are together and they run it through this whole advanced algorithm and they can just take that one signal really good nose here and know that there's Turkey. There's definitely Turkey. So based I, in-
0: I feel like you and I have probably had the same discussion with the sleep image ring people. And you've been like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and like laughing it all up. And I've I got to like where they were talking about the algorithm, and I was just like, I don't really understand how this works, but it does sound very clever. And I've done yeah. that one as well, and it is it is pretty amazing the data that they can get from it.
1: And, and I'll make it. I'll, I'll to to really simplify that that signal there. You yeah. overlay the ones with the height and like the, the the distance, and just the combination of the two is what lets you know whether there's an event. All right, we'll just say that. There's another one that I'm actually super excited about about coming out in the future is um so there's a, a device called a sunrise device. And that I'll measures that too <laughs> mandibular movement. Yes. And again, as a surrogate. They know that when you when you fall into certain stages of sleep, your muscle tone, like REM sleep, your muscle tone goes completely relaxed. So they can use that as a surrogate for knowing you're in REM sleep.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: Crazy. Every time like, when would...
0: I first talked to them about it I I like I'm not gonna lie to you I kind of just thought like how can that possibly work but yeah. then uh they so I'm not sure I think that they're getting approval for that in the. US right now but it's so they been available in Europe
1: they have um, FDA, but what they don't have is the the spo2 sensor which I think is is in the works right now yeah right right, right level four definitely needs. The SPO2, the the definitely
0: pump. needs it. Got it. So, but the actual sensor part is this really small, flexible thing that sticks on your chin. Crazy. And like it's amazing that they can get data from that.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, and then the other one that I really like the the Westford device. All right. Yes. And- you know, they use something um, they use, they don't have anything up by your nose. All right. But what they have is, so if your airway is completely open and you were to put your your hand in your chest, your hand, in your stomach and breathe like your, your chest and your abdomen move together. All right. But if you put a little bit of resistance there, that changes how you breathe. Your, your chest goes in, your stomach goes out when you're trying to. And so they can tell uh, the subtle differences in, in chest breathing and, and stomach breathing. And from that, that's their nose to know that there's turkey yeah so
0: yeah because I've done that one too I feel like I've done all of these you know I just have a weird job right but with the Westmore thing if nobody like if people out there haven't heard of it there's two almost like sticky how do you describe those patches that go like one under your boob and one over Mm -hmm. your tummy and It, you just kind of like switch them on, you can't, they're not uncomfy, it's just like it just right. sticks to your skin, and then you add in the SpO2 sensor.
1: Right. And, and actually the thing that they have that none of the other ones have is a but a temperature sensor as well, and so there's a there's a whole, whole lot, especially if you're, I'll, I'll get on my soapbox real quick now, again for a second, so we kind of bucket people with sleep apnea, as you have sleep apnea, but for most people they have sleep apnea not most but many people have sleep apnea and insomnia or sleep apnea yes. and circadian lots
0: of people yes
1: and so knowing where your your body temperature is can i mean my aura ring has a, a a temperature sensor so i can see like my my temperature throughout the yeah. night um it can help you know what your optimal sleep schedule is you know and so
0: what we're saying is for people with this kind of like level 4 thing Yeah. If they do that and it doesn't come back as them having sleep apnea, but they still have all the symptoms, they should then keep trying to find answers.
1: Hopefully your physician will do that work for you and your physician will say, all right, we tried this. You still have symptoms, but this wasn't able to, it just means that that tool, those tools are very, they're wonderful, but they're just not sensitive enough to out sleep apnea for many, many people.
0: Yes. Got it. Thank you for explaining all that so well, because I feel like I kind of assume a lot of knowledge and sometimes people listening are like, what?
1: Some of these, they they can be shipped to your house. Some of them are disposable. Some of them connect with your phone and the data is pushed the next day and it's automatically analyzed, you know? Um, so. So
0: I think that that's one of the things that we're seeing is just a lot of these companies disrupting, you know, kind of going direct to the consumer to... And, um, you know, I interviewed somebody who had used a Lofter test yeah. yeah, and that's very much like you don't even need to deal with like going to your own doctor and getting the referral and what you talk through to begin with, because yeah. they have their own doctors doing telehealth visits and sending home tests yeah. into your house and all that. So I think yeah. it's changing. I think we'll see a lot of change, probably, which and I, I mean, I, I think from the patient's point of view is probably a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean we're we're highlighting we've we have probably overwhelmed with a number of different devices we've mentioned, but like that's honestly just scratching. The, there's
0: yeah, there's so there many
1: areas. Is, is the Apnea Link, the the, PS, the sleep profile. There's the Cleveland yeah. device all over so the So if place.
0: somebody comes to you and Teresa. Yeah. and they have symptoms of sleep apnea what are you going to work with their own doctor and talk them through that or are there particular tests that you guys use do you want to just speak a, a yeah, little bit so, about
1: that well, if, they, if they have a doctor especially if they have a sleep doctor we would love to help them and and that can go as far as you know letting them know like you know this is the person you should reach out to or like this is the script that you can give you know ask these questions and make sure you get these answers before you leave that's that's the sort of things we can help out with um that's you know, wonderful
0: because funny because when I, I i interviewed um dr kashani he was saying like we were kind of going back and forth because i was like we need to give people the tools to be able to advocate for themselves in healthcare settings to get the information they need and to get the testing they need and he was just saying, like, it shouldn't be that way. Like, it's our job as physicians to know, you know, all the stuff. But I was like, but in the meantime, right, we're going to have to, you know, empower patients to get the answers they need from the current system.
1: And I I, I respect Sam and great God. But I will say that. I almost don't, I want physicians to be physicians. You know, I want them making clinical decisions. And I I don't think that, I think that this role, this, the sleep coach, sleep navigator, CCSH, whatever you want to call it, but I I think it has a real place. And I don't think it in any way diminishes the role of the physician. I think it's what they're doing. Yes, Absolutely. We can help with educating patients. We can help with coordinating that care. We can help monitoring and always, always, ultimately going up to the physician for the for the clinical decision making. Yes. I don't yeah. want to make clinical decisions. I'm not a physician. I want the physician Same. to do. That. Right. I
0: want to just be a podcaster.
1: <laughs> the last thing I'll say on on home sleep testing here. Um, and if if anyone is a uh, uh from one of the home sleep testing groups and, and they're listening to this, you know, earmuffs for a second, but the 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 thing that we're moving toward is that the gap between these consumer wearables and home sleep testing is getting.
0: That was going to be my next question. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
1: there's and maybe by the time this podcast airs, it might even be released. But you know, one consumer device is I'm hearing is about to get FDA clearance as a home as a a diagnostic tool, something.
0: That's where we're going because even the the sophistication of like you know even like aura rings and Apple watches, which are not diagnostic tools, are, right. the amount of data though is incredible.
1: And here's my my thing on this is I welcome that. all right I I want Thanks. us to have accurate testing and accurate diagnosing yes. absolutely. but we have put such such a bottleneck into that diagnostic process yeah. i would love if just as a field we could just get i want i want honestly i would love if there was a blood test uh, a, a a genetic marker you know something for you to just like or or again you're wearing your aura ring and you wake up in the morning and your phone just says hey you have sleep apnea go to your doctor and you know yes. ske- click this button schedule your appointment for you to talk about your your therapy options you know i don't
0: th- i don't think we're that far away from that to be honest
1: and that's where I think a big opportunity is with these devices. As they get more and more accurate, yeah, we can use them to track patients on therapy.
0: Yes, really
1: know that not just that they're they're OSA and
0: follow up. Like I see that um you wore your CPAP last night and it didn't go so well. And have we tried all these different things and helping people to adjust?
1: And that is actually something that's changing. I mean, there are these yeah the Insurance goes these remote patient monitoring codes that, yes. that some of us are trying out, which allows us to do exactly that. Mrs. Jones, you you, you took off your mask at 2 a.m. Can we can we talk about it is yeah. what particularly was it? Can we do a video chat, see how you have it fit? on. I would love to be able to do that. with. I patients. know.
0: Yeah. So tell people I could literally talk to you for four hours, but okay. I'm going to have to let you go. So talk to people about where they can find you. Um, maybe tell them a little bit about you and Teresa have some um, programs people can do, yeah. like little yeah. courses. Do you want to talk to that? So if you
1: go to uh, sleepbetter.nyc, not .com, sleepbetter.nyc, we have all of our information there. So, you know, as, as you said, we have um, some of these self-paced programs. I want everyone to see a doctor, but maybe while you're waiting to see your doctor, um, you can... Uh, check out one of these. We have, you know, programs that can help you kind of like restructure your sleep, starting with like the environment around you, then maybe with your routines in the morning, your routines at night, maybe the, the, the food and beverages that you consume throughout the day and really helping to, to guide you to, to improving your sleep on your own. Just, these are practical tools so that you can control your own sleep. So we have some information about that or we have another one um, on on snoring and and, and sleep apnea. So let's say you think you want to see a doctor, but like you're not quite sure. This can help educate you as to what what you're experiencing. Help guide you to find. So we have we have that um, that on our side as well. We have another one for um, people who uh, who have uh it's sleep and mental health and so a lot yes. of it is educating that when you have bad sleep it definitely affects you the next day and that's
0: huge that's that's mm-hmm. like no joke every person I talk to I like know. Y- you know like I-, I think that um when I first started my podcast I think I thought that I was the only person who was dealing with anxiety and depression and 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 then one of the things to come out of it was I think I've interviewed a handful of people who haven't, re- who were very young, who got diagnosed really quickly, who haven't had much of a mental health impact, but everybody else, yeah. like it's, it's just, they go hand in hand. If your sleep is not right, they then, do. And yeah, head in
1: hand is right because it, it's, it's bi directional. You know, if you yeah. have, uh, you know, if, if you are, are, you know, have uh, uh, anxiety, depression, um, PTSD, uh, anything that's going to impact your sleep and yes. if you have sleep it's going to exacerbate that and even if you don't have a diagnose a diagnosable um you know a psychiatric disorder mental health disorder just having poor sleep can mimic a lot of the same anxiety yes. i mean that's just it's how our brains are wired you know we yeah you know when you when you're one night of poor sleep your amygdala is like you know x percent activated yeah. and you're and you're, you're pre- snappy
0: with everybody
1: well, and and this is something I heard in a podcast recently, like we intuitively know that with children, like anyone who has kids, you know that if that kid has a poor night's sleep or if that yeah. nap doesn't happen, yeah, that's why those are sick so we know that with with yeah. children we have. Better compensatory uh responses as adults, but like
0: Do we? I think it's more that we just have this like conditioning that it's not acceptable for adults to just like have a big meltdown. But right, like right. that's kind of you what know, you feel like art, there.
1: Like, <laughs> like <definitely. throwing. laughs>
0: that would be me if it were <laughs> acceptable. Sure. Well, listen, Drew, thank you so much. I will put links to you and teresa in the show notes and i really appreciate your time
1: no thank you emma and i love i love that you have this podcast i love how devoted you are to getting people educated on this this is i just like having another sleep nerd friend so right
0: (laughs) sleep nerd friends are the best thanks so much for listening I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.